Thank you, Laura, for being willing to share transparently with us this morning on what is in your heart these days. Before we dive into the message this morning, we have uh, another baby's first time in church today, uh, Finley Adele Brooks Bamber. I had to be sure I could say all those names for, with my own memory without looking at the notes, because this is my granddaughter. Nothing more special about her than any other child. Parents, daughter Mariah and Scott, please stand. Where are you? Welcome, baby Finley. We love to do that, and so those who uh, have had, I think there's is there one and two more that are, we're awaiting, one more. We, we look forward to, uh, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but Quinley. Oh, I'm not supposed to. Okay, we'll be here at some point as well. But there's a little gift as we, as we do for first-time baby in church at the front here. Have some sad news to uh, make you aware of, uh, church family, and, and that is that Sandy Jenkins, one of the senior members of our church, served God faithfully for so many years. It's an inspiration to me and the visits that I've had with him. And I know the same for Pastor Joel, big time. And uh, so we pray, pray for Marie, his wife, and and. Uh, uh, Sister Lida, Lida and Gilbert and your family, we pray for you at this time of, of, of loss and broader challenges right now health-wise in your family. So church family this week, just lift them up in prayer. We pray God's strength and peace for each one of, of you. And uh, Wednesday morning is the uh, celebration of life service. Um, I'm not sure where it, it will be. You can phone the church office in the morning and get that information if you, uh, if you want to, okay? Heavenly Father, open our hearts, we humbly ask, as we approach your powerful word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're new here, my name is Marlo, and I'm one of the pastors here at Eaglemont. And today we begin a three-week series, interrupted next Sunday by a guest speaker, but uh, three weeks on why you need a church. Pre-2020, it's going to be a marker, isn't it? There had been an observable trend in North American Christianity of a decreasing value and priority put on the role of the church in believers' lives. And this has just really uh, many indicators that this has spiraled further in the last few years. And I'm absolutely convinced that that grieves the head of the church, that it grieves the heart of our Lord Jesus. Because, because God created us for relationship. A longing and a need put within us by our Creator, uh, God who, who knows Himself, knows deep and loving relationship within the context of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that we won't take time to unpack, as tempting as it is. 
Years ago, I was uh, one of the pastors on the team at Millwood's Assembly, and our lead pastor, Gary Tatinger, who's now our district superintendent, did a series with this same title, and I uh, interacted with him. I asked him if I could use some of the ideas that he shared then, and I, I mean, they're all biblical points that are clear that we've taught over the years because they're unchanging truths about God's idea of the church. However, I would say that if there ever was a time in the body of Christ where we needed this reminder of God's perspective of His church and the role that He wants it to play in our individual lives as believers, it's now. In my conversations with some of you, you recognize that in some ways as well. So, when you hear the word church, what pops to mind? Probably a variety of things. And for some of you, it's a new experience. And I say, way to go. Way to go. That's courageous for many of you to take the step to connect in a gathering like this. Or maybe even to engage online, which, of course, is, feels a little safer. And, and way to go for doing that, if, if that's you today. Some of you grew up in a church, but maybe you don't have the best of memories of that. And that's sad. And that also breaks God's heart. Others of you grew up in a church environment like I did. Not perfect, but a, a place that you could call family. A, a loving community of Christ followers. And, and I'm so grateful, as many of you are, I'm sure, that that was your experience and my experience. I'm grateful for that. One of the memories of church as a kid that I have is about 30 of us, 30 of us being packed in a room about this size with rows of chairs. And at the front was the teacher, Mrs. Venters, trying to keep us engaged with the flannel graph. <laughs> Some of you young your kids are going, what in the world is it? Cutting edge, cutting edge technology, audio and visual technology at the time. Bible lessons with paper figures stuck to a flannel sheet where the teacher could tear the leg off a man and, and, and then he would be in need of the touch of Jesus and Jesus would come along and touch his leg, a little scotch tape, and we witnessed the miracles of Jesus in phenomenal ways. Some of you are laughing because that was your experience. You're old enough to, to remember that. Church life. Hmm. Family life. Joys, challenges, but we don't give up on family. We don't give up on family. On a more serious note, I remember spiritual watershed moments in church life growing up that I am so grateful for. And wow, that sounds weird when I talk and choked up at the same time. Huh? <laughs> Times of prayer with older believers that had an impact on me. Uh, youth retreats. Sunday night prayer times where, where we sought God as, as young people and older people were there. And it was so great. Spiritual commitments made. And as a teenager, at one of those altar times that we used to call it, just a, a place of surrender is, is what that means, um, where I was filled with the Holy Spirit and just so many watershed spiritual moments. I remember when missionaries would visit from faraway places and they shared their experience, uh, experiences. And even as a kid, I, I remember thinking that there's something deeper than just mere adventure that takes them across the sea. 
to do the work that God's called them to because they cared about spiritually lost people. And I was, even as a kid, I remember being grateful uh, to, to be part of a church that cared about that. And God used those times to open my own heart to missions and to, and to all the people of the world in God's rich creativity of the cultures and ethnicities. It's beautiful. Growing up in church, I knew the church wasn't perfect because it was made up of people like me. But I, I, I still saw many grace-filled people who cared about displaying the loving character of Jesus to one another. And to this day, that chokes me up with joy to witness that, as, as many of you do. Sadly, that's not everyone's experience, church. We sometimes hear comments about uh, hypocrites in the church, which at times, which at times can be, I believe, smokescreens for those who would rather keep their distance from the church. Just saying. Pastor Mark Bohr of Life Church in Idaho quotes people who say, Yeah, I'm done with church. It's just a bunch of hypocrites there. He says, That's not as smart as you think it sounds. And then says, that would be like me saying, I went to the gym the other day, and would you believe it? There were so many out-of-shape people there. I'm not going to the gym anymore. I mean, they say they're all about fitness, and yet so many people come jiggling in. His words. Ah, hit at the gym. And he says, or maybe that's why that place exists. And maybe, he says, maybe the church exists for hypocrites, not to sustain the hypocrisy, of course not, but that there's a place where God can effectively change us. Because, as the Old Testament talks about, as iron sharpens iron, that's what we do for one another, or we should. It's not always comfortable. We need to be able to receive that, we need to be accountable, we need to open ourselves up in the body, Right? Go to the gym and you'll see people who are obviously very committed because they're very fit. But you'll also see others who may be just as committed, but they're entry level maybe. But they're there. They're engaging and following through on their commitment. Well, in any local church, there are some who walk walk close to Jesus and have for many years or maybe not so many years. And and yet the the character and the maturity of their life and uh, and character, it it shows. And in that same church, there will be others who are just kind of rolling in. They may even be a mess, but they're there placing themselves in the very best place, environment possible to experience growth, spiritual growth and and wholeness. And, and, And yes, in that same church, you'll likely have a few others who are there for any number of other reasons and possibly have not even surrendered their life to Jesus yet. So who's the church for? All of those people. All of those people. I mentioned a moment ago that the church is family. But what the church is not is an institution. Oh, it can be organized and should be organized, but I think we know what we mean by an institution. It's not that, the church. The church is not a a building. We we know that. We certainly heard that during COVID. We heard that pre-COVID too. Come on. The church is not a denomination. 
I want to make, though, a few comments about denominations because they're often maligned and sometimes, I, I think, unnecessarily so. Yes, of course, denominations have sometimes caused or, or, or come about as a result of, of fighting, inappropriate fighting over various things to where there's a separating of ways. Sometimes, sometimes cordially, but sometimes not. Church history is riddled with situations that grieve God's heart because of his fighting kids. However, denominations have also sometimes come into existence simply by somebody coming to Christ over here and at some different place and region, maybe, maybe relatively close, maybe far away, at the same time, the same gospel captures someone's heart in the Holy Spirit's work, and they come to Christ, and they share, and they share, and others come to Christ over here, and then the others come to Christ over here, and then they do the New Testament thing and group up as a body. They become a local church, and they want to minister, they want to serve their community, they want to reach out, and that starts happening over here, and that also starts happening over here, and then they have vision for other regions in their area and they plant churches and then this group does the same you see where i'm going become a fellowship here and here put a put a name to it here put a name to it here all doing the same gospel work but two separate bodies that probably have some differences in, in how, they, uh, how they worship together or how they organize leadership or whatever. And that's good. That's good. Denominations can powerfully reflect the creativity of God and give, give Christ followers the opportunity to display uh, God's grace to one another. And again, that's good. From my observation, I've seen the denominational fighting diminish over the years, which is great, uh, along with a growing commitment to, uh, to, to the, the primary truths of the gospel that, that Bible-believing churches have in common. And, and again, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. Now, there can still be differences in what is sometimes referred to as secondary doctrine. In other words, these points of Bible teaching that may be important to us or you know, to, to, to the individual group, but are not uh, primary doctrine. They are, they are secondary because they, they're not salvation issues. Our salvation does not depend on these quote-unquote secondary doctrines. But there are some truths of Scripture that are non-negotiable that are often referred to as primary Doctrine. In other words, any church that has the Bible, uh, the, the complete scriptures as the foundation of that church will agree on things like, like the Bible being the authoritative word of God, no matter what culture says, without error, without error. God protected it. Yes, he did in the translation of it. There's lots of good information on that if that interests you. Groups that will have the Bible, that have the Bible as their foundation, will, uh, will agree, primary doctrine, that Jesus is God. Wow. And if he's not, he cannot be our Savior. Our salvation is at risk if we do not believe that Jesus is God. Come in human flesh, yes, but by nature, 100%, God. 
Because if he's not, he cannot be the pure and perfect sacrifice for sin that God the Father, the righteous judge, demands, right? These churches that have the Bible as their foundation will all believe primary doctrine, that the cross is the full and only atonement for our sin. That Jesus literally rose from the dead. That God created marriage to be lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. These are primary doctrines where there's no wiggle room to redefine them without putting our salvation at risk. Now, a brief comment about the church not being a building. That's that's true. However, I've seen some people take that statement particularly in the last few years, and use it to argue that they don't need to group up in in a building or wherever. But saying that the church is not a building is not equivalent to saying, I don't need to connect regularly with other believers. Because you do. I do. If you're a Christ follower, it's the New Testament pattern. That's abundantly clear. I don't need to go to church to be a, to be a Christian. It's true. That's true. But it's still, it's still a nonsensical comment for a professing Christ follower to make since Jesus' idea is that the church, his people, be together, grow together, serve together, pray together, do life and outreach together. It's what he wants for us. So you're, you're, you're fighting Jesus, actually, if you say you don't need a church. The Greek word that's translated as church in the New Testament is ecclesia. It means the called out ones or the called out assembly. It's literally what it means. Those, referring to those who have surrendered their life to Christ, they're called then to be together. It's the actual meaning of the word. Most of you are in that group. So when you hear the word church or you read it in the New Testament, just remember, church is Christ followers. It's people as opposed to an institution, denomination, or a building. And here's something noteworthy as well about the word church. It's used 114 times in the New Testament. One author points out that 92 of those times, it's a direct reference to the local expression of the worldwide church. 92 of the 114 times. My friend, that's, that's significant because sometimes Christians, in, in, a, in an attempt, uh, or as they start to pull away for whatever reason from the local church, will sometimes say something like, well, I'm a part of the worldwide church, as if that's more spiritual. I don't know. And, and, and as if that negates the priority of Jesus for us to be committed to a physical, local church church body, the place where where identification with God's worldwide church has feet. Know what I'm saying? Your attempt to distance yourself from the local church by saying, I'm I'm, I'm just a part of the the church globally, just doesn't cut it with Jesus, actually. And and while that is true, it's not possible to display the, the commitment that Jesus wants you to have to his church without a solid commitment to a local expression of the worldwide body of Christ. This why you need a church 
little short series is a, is a reminder that the best way and the only way to experience the fullness of the Christian life is to live out commitment to Jesus in the context of a local body. His church that he loves, Jesus loves so much. I, I do want to raise a caution, though, here. We must not let the answers to the question why you need a church degenerate merely into a focus on what's in it for me. What will I receive? How will I benefit? That, that, that's our broader consumeristic culture, isn't it? That, that seeps into the church at at times, or into our own hearts at times, all too easily. Now, of course, there, there are many benefits from being a part. I've experienced them. You've experienced them. And that's great. There are many benefits from being a part of a healthy local church. But we must not think like our culture thinks, um, that if, if there's nothing for me, then uh, it's not worth it. Then why bother? Or, or, that, or that what's in it for me matters most. Rather, Jesus wants our motivation for commitment to his local church to, to, to be about bringing encouragement and strength to others and to helping advance the gospel in community with others in the body. And that's when we, that's when we really start to, to, to benefit ourselves, actually. Right? You see, more than what you get out of it, and, I, and I've said this to people before, lovingly, what the body misses when you're not there anymore. Yeah. And don't sell yourself short. God, if you're a Christ follower, God has put within you a, a personality that will encourage others. Yeah, that will probably chafe another type of person, but hey, that's relationships, right? Uh, but God has put within you gifts. He's put before you opportunities to serve. And those are rich things. So let's look at a couple scripture passages that are the impetus for the start of the church of Jesus. Matthew 28, speaking to his disciples, Jesus said this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then, at the beginning of Acts 2, we see the historical record of the disciples, 120 of them at that time, being filled with the Holy Spirit, as Jesus promised he would send the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8, when he went back to heaven to empower the believers, the Christ followers, to effectively witness for him and to, to empower them to show and share the gospel message. And immediately after that time of prayer and the infilling of the just amazing stuff that happened there, they went out immediately, and Peter was the one that preached on the street that day, 3,000 people made uh, the, the eternity-altering commitment to follow Christ. Acts 2.41 says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized, outward expression of an in inward commitment, right, and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Now, that doesn't mean the council leaders of Jerusalem took all their core team membership applications and uh, reviewed and, 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 and approved uh, like we do, and that's not, that's not a bad thing. 
not a bad, not a wrong practice. But when it says that they were added to the church, it simply means that by virtue of their personal decision to follow Jesus, they were placed immediately by God, His perspective, from that point on, placed in a local body, the body of Christ. And God intended that to be expressed in a local body through ministry and outreach together. It's what, it's what we consistently see through the New Testament, that, that people's personal decision to surrender to Christ instantly becomes a, a, a collective or a community experience with, with other Christ followers. Again, again, the New Testament pattern. So, my friends, again, if you're, if you're claiming to be a Christ follower, community life in a local church is, is Jesus' expectation of you, of me. So, in, in light of all this New Testament pattern, it's very, it's very sad when some people say, I, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. <sighs> hmm. I, I, I know that often experiences in our past play into that. But don't let, don't let your relationship with Christ be in jeopardy because of people who don't represent Jesus very well. Even in this post-COVID time where uh, any pastor I talk to, and I've talked to numbers, <laughs> some that didn't reconnect with their local church after thing the dust settled. Different reasons, sure. But, but, but sad. Even a comment like, kind of gotten used to the couch came to my ears sad grieves God's heart Pastor Jared Ellis of E2 Church says you're right you don't have to go to church to be a Christian but you don't need to live in your home with your wife to be married technically either but the longer you would stay away, he says, the worse your connection with her is going to get. <laughs> Being disconnected from the body of Christ will gradually, but surely, diminish your passion for Christ himself. Just like the, 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 the log taken off the big fire and set way over here on its own, as that fire continues to be stoked with new wood and new life, and, and, and the, 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 the heat and the flame will eventually go out. Here's the bottom line for those who would say it's okay as a Christian to not be connected in a local church. And by, by connected, I, I do not mean online version. Online is a fantastic tool in, in various situations. And uh, you know, certainly for spiritual uh, seekers or, or when someone's in a time of transition or, or, or traveling or sick, all of those things. And, and it, you know, even to help us as a body track together in the teaching that God is leading a particular church in. And he absolutely, the Holy Spirit actually for sure does that. Okay, that's an important piece. Christ followers, every one of us need to be absolutely convinced that Jesus views our commitment to him to be immediately followed by a commitment to community life with other Christ followers. And so that's probably a reminder for most of you who've been Christ followers for 
significant periods of time in some cases, but some of you that are new to faith in Christ, consider that carefully. How are you doing with that? Is, that, is, that, is, is the question of this series, um, how are you doing with that? That's the question of this series. How are you cultivating the depth and vibrancy of, of commitment to the body of Christ in your life? Now, to clarify, when you hear the phrase, you need a church, we're obviously referring to a, a, a biblical, a healthy, biblical, and loving church, right? Don't, don't give up on God's idea because of imperfect people. And you'll find them here. And if you know me, I, you know I'm one of them. We're a work in progress, aren't we? Help me. Help me grow. Help me be more considerate. Help me have more faith in God's ability to provide what I need. And that comes to mind because that's, that's an area where I've been sharpened in this church by some of you. Thank you for that. three points in each of the next two messages in this series, two weeks from today and the week after that. But since I covered a fair bit already background, I would, I would call it this morning context, uh, I'm just going to address one briefly, why you need a church. You need a church because God designed you for fellowship. And don't be too quick to say, well, I'm an introvert. I don't need that. Yeah, you do. It might look different than your extrovert friend, but God may have made you an introvert, but he still designed you for this thing called fellowship. Because fellowship is as much or more about what you contribute to others as it is about what you receive as you make yourself available to be a conduit of God's grace to other people, to other believers. In in various depths of relationship, yes. But through your through your grace-filled words and your encouraging words and your acts of service. The New Testament concept of fellowship requires body life for it to happen. And it, again, again, it's, it's God's idea. It's God's idea. It's also quite a Christianese word, though, isn't it? Uh, one we throw around uh, to mean a lot of different things, I suppose. Not, you know, not always understood fully, maybe, but, but very much a biblical word. BibleGateway.com, word search, it appears 15 times in the New Testament. So it's quite an important word, not to mention the other uh, times when the word isn't used, but we see uh, that that is exactly what's happening in the, in the narrative of, of the New Testament many times. See, there's no, there's no such thing as... Uh, nothing close at all to the idea of, of Lone Ranger Christianity in the New Testament. In Acts 2.42, we see a small list of things that the disciples devoted themselves to. Fellowship is one of four. Fellowship is in this small list of heavy hitters of the things that the early disciples committed themselves to. You know that most of you know them. Fellowship. Teaching of the apostles. Breaking of bread. And... Little test. Uh, Go ahead. Thank you. Prayer. Four important things. Fellowship is in that list. 
But sadly, it's fellowship that's often devalued by Christians. Even though it's a gift, it is. It's a gift from God for our good as believers. Because it's a gift from God, it's not, not, uh, not surprising. Because it's a gift from God, it's not surprising that our enemy, Satan, will try to intercept it. He'll try to derail any good thing that God has given to us. So be on your guard in that, re- in that regard. Earlier this year in Evangelical Fellowship of Canada magazine, Faith Today, Bruce Clemenger, former president of EFC, um, wrote an article entitled, The Fellowship of the Body of Christ, which contained this good statement. It is in the fellowship of believers we find resilience. Challenges always tempt us to withdraw or go into isolation. Some of you know that. But these are not effective ways to get through a battle or life challenge. We need fellowship. And I chase that good quote with another one, another good one from, uh, by John Elbiston, who serves in our PAOC district office in an article about what cooperative fellowship is in the body of Christ. He wrote, we've all met those Lone Ranger Christians, there's that word again, and students, if you don't know what that is, you can Google that later, old TV show, that's all I'll say. Um, uh, we've all met those Lone Ranger Christians who don't think they need to be a part of the church their error, Albiston says, their error is that they, re- they rebel against the teaching of Scripture that the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Paul's words from 1 Corinthians, right? Who don't think they need to be a part of the church. Their error is that they rebel against the teaching of Scripture that the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And instead have contempt, he says, for the body of Christ. They learn from no one. They support no one. They answer to no one. Hmm. That's spiritually dangerous territory, actually. We will miss out on this awesome experience and gift 